Amen. Right on. We, uh, of course, we picked that super obnoxious video to be in a series that has five weeks in it. So you're just going to keep seeing it every single week. Um, but we started a series a couple of weeks ago called Above the Noise. And the reason we did that is because we believe that culture and the enemy, like never before, has tried to get us so distracted and drowned out with all this senseless noise. And so I said it in our first week. I'll say it again this week. Uh, the way that that just makes your skin crawl and you're just, oh my gosh, what's this person doing? We were at Disney World a few weeks ago and I was on a bus. There was a guy, he was wearing flip-flops and um, he was next to me on the bus and the entire ride, he was rolling his ankle right next to me, just like, just cracking it continually. And you know, that just wilting feeling of like, oh my gosh. And some of, for some of you, it's chewing. You know, someone comes along and you're just chewing weird or whatever. That just makes your skin crawl type feeling should be the way that spiritually we feel when the enemy tries to bring noise that doesn't belong. If we only ran as hard from the, spirit, the, the negative spiritual noise as much as we did from the loud chewer or the ankle roller, are you with me? We'd be in such better position. Uh, I shared this with you. Statistically, in 2009, there was 240 billion text messages sent a year. In 2017, there was 781 billion sent in a month. You know, half of those were our wives at the grocery store, but still. Amen. Anybody? No man wants to amen that. Ever you just left me up here to die, but that's fine. But uh, but think about the noise in our world and in our lives. There's so much noise. I just read this statistic. This is actually awesome because some of you are going to be so guilty of this. Fifty-one percent of Americans need noise to sleep. Uh oh. How many of you got that fan going? You got some noise going. So think about that. Your body, when it's time to even enter into rest, I'm not talking about death. <laughs> when it's time for you to even enter into rest, you're like, I need my noise. I need my noise. Where's my noise? Where's my noise? Uh, you go home and you turn the TV on, right? Or you just, why? Because you want it on in the background. You just, I need it on. I need, I need the noise. I need the noise. The enemy has done such an awesome job of clouding our lives. And we say, oh, I can't hear from God. I can't hear from God. And he's like, well, turn the fan off when you go to sleep. I'll talk to you. <laughs> you know, uh, I thought about this. Um, if we were to actually take a look at the times that you feel close to God or you feel like you can hear from God or you feel like, yeah, I really hear God or I really feel near to him, wouldn't it be interesting to, uh, to find out that many of those places that you feel that way are probably quiet, silent places? I mean, you feel close to God in the shower, right? You're in the shower, you're like, man, God's just really speaking to me. Oh, weird, because it's quiet, right? Or maybe when you go for a walk and you don't have your earbuds in or maybe when you're mowing and you don't have your... Isn't it weird when you start thinking about all the times that you've experienced or encountered or heard from God? Many of them, I guarantee you, would come from places of silence or solitude, right? And so we just got to be a people who get above the noise. And so knowing that we would talk about this for five weeks, I knew one of the ways we needed to, one of the things we needed to discuss was, was how worship helps us get above the noise. Now, I, sound that, I know that sounds kind of funny because worship is music and sound and noise, uh, but there's a spiritual level to it that helps us get above the noise. And so knowing that we were going to talk about worship, of course, I connected with Maddie and, and, and she actually even approached me and said, I got something I really want to say about worship and about this. And so as our, as our worship leader and somebody who lives worship, I'll say this about Maddie. Uh, when I first met her, I took over a very small youth group, maybe seven or eight kids. They met in a really rundown house behind a church that I worked at. And uh, Maddie was their, their worship leader and just a clunky old keyboard and she would come in there and worship like it was a stadium. She would just give her best and her all to God and just worship. Why? Because she's a worshiper. 
She's not a talent or a person who's doing worship here. She is a worshiper. And so, and so you can feel that. You can know that. And, and so I'm uh, going to have her share for just a few minutes about like worship and why it matters and how it's on her heart and uh, what it means for us as a church. And then, uh, and then I got a couple thoughts I'll share with you as well. So give your best ear and attention to Maddie and uh, soon to be married. Like what's the countdown today? What are we? I don't Oh, Ben. Ben's like, hold on, let me get my phone. I put it on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, they don't know. Nicole knows 11 days. 11 days. 11 days. In 11 days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Take us away, Maddie. What's your heart, what's your heart about worship? Cool. So as I was kind of thinking about um, worship this week and what I wanted to say and what God was even saying, I felt like I needed to define what worship was. And even it's something I go back to frequently of, okay, what is worship? So worship in and of itself is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. And so I was thinking about this, and my brain started to wander, and I was thinking about a concert, actually, that my brother just took me to back in February. And so this concert was on one of those really, really bad snow days where, like, state of Michigan shut down. No one's supposed to come out. I mean, Van Andel, this was a sold-out show, right? And it was half empty. So this was one of those shows. And my brother and I, we braved it we decided that no matter what, we were going to go to this concert. So we go and we pursued it and we get there and we're sitting next to this girl. And this girl, the guy, lead singer comes out and she is screaming at the top of her lungs. She is so excited to see him. And I'm kind of thinking she's a little nuts. You know, like he's cool, but not that cool. And she's singing and dancing and everyone, just the stadium immediately lights up. And I started thinking about it. Why isn't worship always that way? In that moment, she was giving her adoration towards that band, towards that singer, you know? And so often, it's so easy to come into church and be like, okay, this is what we do. We come in, we sing a couple songs, cool, whatever. Maybe you don't like to sing or you think you can't sing, so you don't sing. And cool, whatever, you get through it. But we don't give our adoration to God, you know? And so sometimes it feels uncomfortable. It feels weird. Or we just don't know why we sing. So easily we come into worship and let the distractions of life and our preconceived notions of what worship is rob us of the power and victory that comes through worship. So this morning, I kind of want to talk to you guys about Jehoshaphat, and I've been stuck on this for like four months. Like this is all I think about now. So in 2 Chronicles 20, it tells the story of Jehoshaphat, and he was um, there and like armies were coming against him, and so all of a sudden these armies decide hey, we're going to team up together and come against him because we know surely there's no way he can scramble a big enough army to beat us. And so Jehoshaphat, what does he do? Well, he doesn't go and gather a big army. No, he goes to God in prayer, which is such an odd thing. That's not something I would do. Quite frankly, I'd be like, okay, who can I ally myself with? Because I need more people. So he goes to God in prayer and God answers him and says, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I want you to go to battle, take your army, but I want you to send worshipers. I want you to send a choir first. And so he gathers the country, they gather their armies, and they go to battle. And they send the choir first, and the choir is singing, hallelujah, praise be to God, your love never fails. And, you know, it's so funny because I was thinking about that choir. How did they feel? Like, how did they feel going out there? That would be crazy. You're going out, meeting these people, who have swords and axes and like I'm totally envisioning like gladiators in my head and that's little old me versus a gladiator is what I'm thinking. So the choir goes out and you know they're afraid. You know they're like, okay God, we are holding on because we know you're gonna do something great. And so by the time that the choir gets over the hill, 
they look down on the battle and everyone's dead. God literally sent angels and forces to turn them against each other and they started killing each other off. But God doesn't stop there, which is what's so incredible. So not only did he send the worshipers in because then the battle was won and the victory was already his, but on top of it, they came down and the amount of things and possessions that they gathered was greater than any other battle they'd ever been to because God always goes above and beyond. So when we take our hands off the wheel and we say, okay, God, this battle is yours, that's where victory is. That's always where it's found. So then I was thinking, okay, so that's cool. Like, that's awesome that they did that, and that's fantastic that they were able to overcome fear. But that's not always me. So how do I get above then the distractions and the noise when I come into worship on a Sunday morning? How do I get past what my week looked like? How do I get past the fact that I'm terrified speaking up here, but I still need to lead worship and worship God? How do I get over that? So he kind of started downloading two things to me. And the first one was surrender. Surrender isn't something you just do. It's a choice. Surrender is always a choice. You think about David. One of the things that I think made David such an incredible king is the fact that he always surrendered to God. He was so real with God about where he was and who he was and how he's been acting. He surrendered his mess-ups, his pride, his failures. He gave it all. And I was actually reading an article this week, and it talked about how we filter things so often. We filter our tea. Like I have a little tea bag thing that I put my tea in and it filters it so I don't get any of the weird green things because that's gross. Or we filter our water. I know Josh is like really weird about it. We have a like Brita pic- pitcher that he only drinks out of. Right. It's a Brita filter and it's important that you refill it if you take water out of it. I'm stretching you. I have a point about that right here. I got you. But filtering's not only always good, just so you know. Not always, because we filter our words to God. So often we go to him in prayer and in worship, and we're like, oh, God, how great thou art, how amazing. I've done all these fantastic things to your name, but we're not real about where we're at. And so how do we ever expect God to move if we're not real? If we don't come to him and say, you know what, God, I screwed up here, and I need you. I need your help. Because if we don't admit that there's a battle, then how can we expect victory? Because there's nothing for him to fight then. And so on top of that, I think it pairs with it, is we have to step out of our comfort zones. And so, as you can tell, I'm super comfortable with singing and dancing and raising my hands. Like, within that context of worship, cool, I can do that all day. But God really, over the past couple of weeks, has been convicting me about shouting. It says in the word to shout unto the Lord. But that makes me really nervous. I don't like to raise my voice. I don't like to shout. Even in like student ministry, it makes me really uncomfortable when I have to gather them all and they're all really loud and obnoxious and I have to like raise my voice a little bit. So with that being said, I went to a conference two weeks ago and it was a conference for creatives and worships and they challenged us. They're like, okay, I want you to sit down for 20 minutes and journal who God is. Cool. That's easy. I'll sit here. I'll be silent. I'll write. I don't have to talk to anyone. That sounds great. But... Then she came back up, the speaker, and she goes, okay, now I want you to stand on your chair. Okay, I'll stand on my chair. So I stood on my chair, and she goes, okay, now we're going to shout. We're going to what? We are going to shout at the top of our lungs who God is. That was one of the most uncomfortable moments of my life, apart from maybe this. This might be the only thing that tops it right now. But Could you shout the rest of your sermon on top of your chair? I think we should. This isn't stable okay, enough. I'm right, sorry I'd fall. Yeah. But what's so funny is in that moment, 
that is probably one of the most powerful God moments I've ever had. The way that you just felt, felt the spirit of God just fall on the room because everyone in that room was outside of their comfort zone. There was no comfort. There was no relying on yourself anymore. It was, okay, God, I'm stepping out and you're going to do something great because I can't. And so when we surrender our pre-built boxes of what worship looks like, when we break down the walls around our heart and we surrender, we start to see the victory that comes with worship. When we try to put God in a box, that's when we start to wonder where he is. Yeah, yeah that's good. Is that all you got? Yeah. All right, perfect. Um, yeah. It's good. Is that good, everybody? Um, and, um, you know, it's great to have a, a leader who leads by example outside the comfort zone, taking this thing. Um, one of the things I want to share kind of in just a little bit of the what is worship, um, you know, it is our, as Maddie was alluding to, it is our expression of our love for God. It's our gratitude for all that he's done and all who he is and all that he's going to do in our life, right? And, uh, and so, you know, one of the scriptures that sort of ties all this together literally comes from Jesus' uh, mouth. He says this in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, some translations say, um, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Some even say with all your strength. And so this is an all-encompassing uh, command, principle, order, whatever you want to say, uh, is this. When it comes to worshiping God, the way that we, we express our love for him, it, it calls us to be a people who do it with all of who we are. And so it doesn't matter what your background is, what kind of denomination you grew up in. You know, the first thing that we know when it comes to worshiping God is that God is calling us to give all of ourselves to him in worship. And where denominations and religion has kind of made it complicated, uh, some people say, uh, well, worship is if you raise your hand or worship is if you sing or worship is if you shout. Uh, worship is if you express your love for him with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all who you are. That's the goal. The goal is to wholly give ourselves to God and our expression to him. Are you with me? And so it's going to look like it's different for everyone. You know, worship is actually kind of a tricky one to teach on because it's easy with prayer because you say, um, hey, we want you to be a person who prays. Uh, let's say it comes to tithing or, or putting God first in generosity. We say uh, we want you to be able to get and, and you can tell someone exactly what those things look like. But when it comes to worship, there is no exact. Here's how everybody needs to carbon copy, be a worshiper, worshiper. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so this is where it really just depends on the, the gut check for us at the end of the day is whenever we come into an atmosphere or a house of God or a place of worship, whether you create it in your home or whatever, the goal and, and the command, the call, the purpose, the thing is to be that we express ourselves how? Again, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, we're giving God all that we have. Amen. Uh, and the problem is we've made that out to be weird. Outward expression of love or passion we say, oh, it's weird. It's weird when someone raises their hands or it's weird when somebody kneels at the altar or bows or sits. We say it's weird. But it's funny how it's not weird when Tiger Woods makes a putt and throws his fist and they turn it into a poster of like, Tiger Woods, yeah, outward expression of his passion, right? Or a quarterback makes a sack or a defensive man makes a sack on a quarterback and he, and he does his thing, right? And, and we love it and we celebrate it and we make a, a commercial break about it, right? Before we go to commercial, we see the slow motion replay of the guy going, right? His outward expression of his passion is accepted in so many other avenues. 
Got weirdo friends of mine who go to KISS concerts. They see grown men in makeup and big boots, and they're turning things on fire, right? And uh, it's not weird. We love it. We sell out concerts for it, right? And, and so I'm just saying, like, we need to back down on how when we give outward expressions of our love for God, we need to calm down and be like, oh, it's weird. It makes me uncomfortable, whatever. It should be the most normal thing we do. This overflow from in our heart. Amen. Worship is not my idea. It's not a pastor's idea. It wasn't formed by a church many years ago. Worshiping God in our song and our words and our, that's God's idea. And it's in scripture. And it's also the call on our life. Psalm 96 says a lot of this. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord who? All the earth. It says, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation. When? Day after day, not just once in a while in our life, all the time we're called to be a people who sing and praise his name. Verse three says, declare his glory where? Among the nations, meaning take your worship all over the world. It's not this little light of mine, I'm going to hide it. No, we're called to take our worship to all of the world. It says, take it to all the world, to all the nations of his marvelous uh, deeds among all people. And so this begins just to lay out, we are a people who express our worship and our gratitude and our thanksgiving of who God is. This is an amazing platform of worship. This thing is an incredible vehicle that we get to use to declare the goodness of God. It's one of our ways that we give testimony. Amen. Here's the deal. You go to a baseball game and they sing, take me out to the ball game before the game starts, because that's like an opening ceremony. It's like an icebreaker. We in current church have turned worship into like an opening ceremony to the sermon. Or we've turned it into an icebreaker for your week. And that's so ungodly. It's not God's purpose. It's not his design. Uh, It's not opening ceremonies. I'll tell you, it's like this. If you ever came into this place understanding this, that when we walk into a house of God like this with a purpose and intent to worship him, you're doing an incredible thing by, by, by joining three phases of worshipers. Number one, the book of Revelation chapter four says that heaven is in a constant place of worship. So right now in heaven is an ongoing eternal worship service. So when we step through those, these doors and we begin to worship, number one, you're joining heaven. But the other thing is when we come into this place and we worship with our brother and sister, you're joining your brother and sister in that. So you can get all Avengers, Marvel comics about it and think how absolutely incredible that is that we as human beings, we walk through these doors and we get to join together with one another in this room. And then that literally connects us to a worship service in heaven. That should get us to do a little bit more than keep our hands in our pockets. Right? It should maybe get us to be able to express some some love out of the inside of us because we're joining heaven to declare the goodness of God and all that he's done in our life. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was at uh, church last week, uh, as you know, and um, there was a uh, Guinness Book of World Record plaque hanging on my pastor friend's wall. He was at a Kansas City Chiefs game, and they set a Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest decibel of a football game which I do want to say that. Isn't it funny when we go to football games and concerts, um, we have no problem with how noisy it is there. Then when we come to church, we're always telling people to turn it down. (laughs) This person literally had a record because the stupid football game set a decibel record. Who cares? It's also the Kansas City Chiefs. Who cares about them, right? (laughs) But he put a thing on his wall that said, I was a part of the loudest decibel. It was the noisiest thing 
at a football game ever in history, and yet we're a people who we kind of wonder, but we're joining heaven. If we can express like that about football, how many know how much we should express about how we're joining heaven in our worship? Amen. There's two ways that we're called to walk in every single thing that we do with God. Every single thing that we do with God really falls into two categories. The first one is come and see and receive. So it's approaching God, understanding who he is, and receiving from him. The other part then becomes go and do. So every single category, whether it's your finances, whatever you do, it's this come and see and receive from him, but it automatically turns into a go and do. So worship, when we come into this place, you can come into a a service of worship and you can come and see and receive and God can speak and he can give and he can download and he can do all of these things. But at the same time, our mindset should be go and do and give back, express back. Are you with me? Come and see and receive and then go and do. Here's some ways that the scripture uh, talks about worship and how we should be worshipful. Uh, Psalm 35, 18 uh, describes how we can be thankful, how we can be raving, how we can be boasting about God's greatness. The scripture also says that life and death is in the power of our tongue. So when we come in and we worship, it's, excuse me, it's not just words on the wall. It's literally us using that gift of life and death. We're speaking life of our lives in our community. It's us activating that scripture. Uh, The scripture says in Psalm 102 that uh, we worship with exuberant singing. Psalm 33, 2 says, with music. Psalm 141, 2 says, with lifted hands. <clears throat> Psalm uh, 95, 6 says, with kneeling or bowing. And then Psalm 32, 11 says, uh, addressing in a loud tone, or Maddie's favorite, shouting. <laughs> in Psalm 32, 11. And so here's what I want to say. Again, there is no exact way to worship. Everybody must exactly, we all, you know, we should come in and it should be a robot worship service, how we all worship the same. <clears throat> An example is this. You guys know I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. I've been to, I think, 38 shows now, and uh, they're three-hour shows. And so if you times that by how many hours, and I've seen them in seven different states, and so I'm a huge fan. But if you ever went to a show with me, I wouldn't be like the person that she described at her show. I might be tapping my toe a little bit. I'm singing along, but I'll tell you what. I'm 100% engaged, like my heart is all in. So I don't think you can look at the person next to you and be like, look at me, I'm more in than them because I'm a little more animated or I'm whatever. And so the problem is church folk, we do that. Look at me, I'm so worshipful. And then you can, and then the other person over here, they might just be receiving different. I understand what I'm saying? Same thing with the movie. Some people watch a movie and they love the action. The thing that they love is seeing the stuff blow up. And they just, the way that they express and receive and engage in the movie is like they love the, and the other people, they love the story, right? They need to be told something. They need to be, you know, they need to be drawn in. They need the thing. Both are great. Both are engagement. It's just different styles for different people. Are you with me? And so I don't want you to, to, to hear me list all these different ways we worship, shouting, da, 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 all these things. I don't want you to hear me list those and think that's now the expectation. The expectation w- with God is, is the very beginning thing that I brought up. It's just in your life, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. These are ways that we jump. Uh, I was talking to Drew, uh, who's been up here leading worship with us. We just hired him to help us with worship and some creative arts and uh, different things. And uh, he used a great word. Uh, he said, uh, you know, he said, what are the barriers? You know, that's the thing when it comes to worship are what are the barriers that we got to hop over? Yeah. What are the things that make us uncomfortable? Maybe, you know, like so if Maddie's saying for her, it, 
It's a shout. For her, it was a shout. That was a barrier. But what did she say happened after she jumped over the barrier? She felt the presence of God. She felt the room be filled with people unifying. I understand what I'm saying. And so, again, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's got to be this because that's just not how it works. But what I'm saying is maybe you do have a barrier that it's time for you to jump over. Maybe it is you sing out loud or you raise a hand or maybe for you, right? Whatever that is, just consider that barrier because as Maddie was saying, there is a surrendering. Uh, my mentor challenged me in this thought. I, it's a very strong thought, okay? Uh, and, and, and so I don't want you to take it in a judgmental standpoint, uh, but it's something that's stuck with me for life. Many times in our lives, we will set what we say is our boundary or this is our principle or this is our value. And we say, this is how I do it. This is how I do it. And then we set that very firm in the ground. But he said this. He said, when it comes to understanding the thing you need to surrender or the, the, the barrier you need to jump over, ask yourself this. The way that you're currently doing something, is that the way that you would desire for your kids to do it? So if you had the perfect wish for how you would like to see your kids be a worshiper, or if you had a desire for the perfect way that you would want to see your kids be generous or serve, is that the way that you're currently doing it and modeling it right now? Or is there barriers we got to jump? Is there some things that we need to say, you know what, maybe I'm the one holding myself back here. And uh, if I want it like that for my kids, I should want it like that for me. Amen? And I think worship is one of those ways. Um, I thought about it like this. I'll be wrapping up here in just a minute, and then we're actually going to worship. But I thought about it like this. If you ever hung out with somebody who expressed their love for somebody else the way that we express our love for God, would it be awkward? Someone said, I love you, God. I love you. I'm going to get my hands in my... I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. But I love you. I'm so in love with you, right? If you went on a date with a new couple, and that was their tone to each other, I love you. I was late to everything, but we're so in love. You have my whole heart. You would get back in the car and be like, they're not going to make it. Wouldn't you? And I realize that comes off as like a judgment about thing. But think about it. We use words like, I live for you, God, and I'm so in love with you, and I give you my everything. Right? But but expression automatically follows that. Uh, It was my birthday yesterday, as many of you know, and I'm 36, so I already forgot what happened yesterday because I'm so old. But... uh, but can I, th- and this isn't, again, I feel like I keep prefacing everything with, this is not a judgment, but this is not a judgment if you didn't express yourself a lot to me. I know that you love me. But the people, how do I want to say this? The, the people, uh, the people that I have a deeper relationship with, that I'm, 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 I'm more in love with, that have more of my heart and more of my life, I mean, on my birthday, they express themselves more to me than maybe just the person I pass on the street, right? person I pass on the street, happy birthday, hope you have a good day. But family, right? Mom's making my favorite dinner, right? Jess went and bought all my junk food she doesn't let me eat, right? And the kids made cards, right? It's, it's, it, was, it was because there's more love there. There's more, do you understand what I'm saying? And so it expressed itself in more of a way. I'm just trying to say that's how worship works. Like the more we have a realization of how God loves us and all that he's done for us, there's more of an overflow that comes out 
in our worship. Amen. And then the last thing I would say is this, uh, Acts chapter 16 gives us an incredible revelation about the power of worship, and it's this, in Acts 16, verse 25, it's the story of Paul and Silas, they're locked up in jail, and the scripture says that they were singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the scripture says the jail shakes, their chains break, and they're set free. But what's incredible about the story, and I know that worship was breakthrough for them, but what's incredible about the story is the scripture said after the fact, not only were they set free, but the scripture says people got saved in that very place because of their act of worship. I believe when we get up here and we sing things like, this is how we fight our battles. I believe when we, when we worship and we sing and we speak those words, I believe it makes way for people to get saved. When you have the mindset of, I got a prodigal son or daughter, and I want to see them come home, worship that. Amen. Worship that. We're not just running out the clock and killing time in worship. No, we're, we're trying to break these chains. Are you with me? Yes. Worship is taking your mind off the problem and putting it on the solution, which is God. Uh, and so chains break. Here's the deal. Uh, in, in current church culture, uh, unfortunately, we've created an atmosphere of, all right, start the countdown because everyone's so busy and everyone's so distracted. If we do the countdown, we'll get them in. Then the first song will be upbeat, and uh, we'll kind of we'll, we'll get them all unbusy. We'll kind of get them all focused. We'll get them all unbusy. Then the second song, we'll, we'll get a little more worshipful. But then finally, by the last song, we'll be worshiping. But what if we came through these doors knowing when we hit this place, we're going to unify with the body, and then we're going to connect with heaven? How incredible of an atmosphere would this be? Amen.